Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is a former Amazonian. We're going to hear straight from the horse's mouth. He was the first external hire in Amazon advertising team, and it managed almost $100 million in advertising budget for 150 brands. So you want to talk about scale, he understands exactly how to scale something and how to manage. So he's today uh, currently the VP of Advertising and Operations at Elevate Brands, which is an aggregator. And he will soon be presiding over almost half a billion dollars in sales. And when he's not playing Amazon, he likes playing chess and motorcycles and movies. Also, ironically, he does stand-up from time to time. So the least person you would expect to be a stand-up. So um, with that, everybody, meet my guest, Tony Morales. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hello. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's uh, I always love talking to former Amazonians because you guys uh, have a certain way of approaching things and then certain way of handling the communications. So it's always, you can tell, it's a well-conditioned way of handling situations. So you run the operations at Elevate Brands. And at Elevate Brands, uh, I understand you will soon have 80 brands that you'll be managing, right? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we just went through a acquisition um, by a company called Seller X. And so, yeah, but the, the merger of the two companies um, will land us with around 80 brands and have us being the second largest aggregator uh, in the space. So it's very exciting. Cool. And you preside over the whole thing. And at least you will be uh, presiding over the whole thing. And so tell us, Share with us some of your secrets to manage such a large operation effectively. Well, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest thing is to, you know, be able to put your advertising operations on autopilot. That's the best way to, to scale an operation of size. So tell us, uh, how what does that entail, putting your operation on autopilot? Well, there's, there's three core themes to that for me. One is uh, building an effective offshore team. Uh, you know, two is having cost-effective software. And the third is really a detailed um, campaign optimization cadence. So what I'm hearing from you is the team, first of all, you build a team but ideally it's offshore from cost standpoint. But at the same time, you cannot let them run around as they feel like it. So you have processes, well-defined processes for them to operate. Right? Correct. Correct. And then, and then you don't do anything by hand, but you use software that uh, runs on sequences that are pre-configured. Is that the case? Yeah, I think it's a, mostly software, but it's a you know depending on the nuance, a little mixture of both. Yes, yeah. but the, the cadence takes care of that. Okay, all right. So uh, fine. So for um, in this conversation, this is this is really for our listeners. Uh, let me just set up our conversation here. So we're gonna get into how to build your team, especially by using offshore people. How, uh, how you identify who's good, who's not so good uh, based on different Amazon-related tasks. And then we're going to discuss uh, how to create your internal processes that need to be operated by the offshore people. Uh, of course, here you want to make sure that they will incorporate who they are into who you want them to be. <laughs> because... Everybody comes to the table with certain amount of 
uh, knowledge and certain culture. And here we are mixing it all up where we want to be the beneficiary of it. And the, finally, it's all about the use, use of software for using cadences. And so that way you're not doing anything manually. So these are all things that we will discuss. And uh, also in the process, we're going to discuss some of the metrics that every seller should stay on, uh, on top of, so that you know what's going on. So let's jump right into it uh, with the team. So tell us, first of all, give us your take on what are the areas where you should bring somebody in and distinct areas, what are the expertise areas that uh, will take for um, to build an Amazon operation and run an Amazon operation? I mean, if you're looking at, you know, Amazon in general, right? I mean, I, I think you can break it down into a bunch of different categories. I mean, today, you know, we'll talk primarily about advertising, but right, advertising is one piece. Now, when I think about advertising, you know, one of the analogies I like to use is I, I think of it like being in a rowboat. Right. And so you're in a boat, you got your two oars in the water and you're kind of rowing this boat. And the one oar is your Amazon ads. Right. And what you're doing with with that or with those Amazon ads is you're you're capturing and directing the existing Amazon traffic. Um, so having a person or a team to do that is, I think, important. I mean, and, and I guess any of these things you're running an Amazon business. If it's, if it's you, you're doing all the things, right? So, so first of all, you're doing all the things. And so as I have this conversation, you know, it's as you grow as a business and can afford support, um, you know, you can outsource things. And many of these things, some are highly skilled, some are not. You know, a lot of things are like, you know, I have a guy that cuts my lawn and I have um, a lady that cleans my house you know, this isn't, you know, and, and, and I do that because one, both of them do those jobs better than I would do. First of all, I don't want to do those jobs. Um, they would also, they also do those jobs better than I would do those jobs. And um, the amount of time it would take me to do it, I would rather spend, you know, doing other things or focusing on my business because I'll, I'll make more money with that time. Right. And so as we think about all the different operations in our business, um, you know, obviously advertising is one inventory management is another, you know, creative and listing optimization is another piece. You know, if your business is, you know, bigger than Amazon, you know, you may have a retail specialty or need to work on your, your D to C site. Um, you know, and having somebody to help you with each of these, these pieces, you know, is important. And, and I think, you know, if we were to break down the Amazon business really simply, it's, you know, create a great listing, um, make sure you're managing your inventory well, so that you're not, um, you know, paying unnecessary fees, and then get as many people as possible to look at the product. And if you do that, and you have something good, people will buy it. And, and you just rinse and repeat. Um, but I would say back to the rowboat analogy, that, that other or, right? Or number one is capturing and directing Amazon traffic. That other or, which I think is even much more difficult that most people struggle with, is driving additional traffic you know, to your Amazon listing. And so how do you get people that say aren't on Amazon you know, to go there and to look for your thing. And so there's a number of different ways to do that. Um, you know, that could be anything from, you know, Google ads, affiliate marketing, you know, different influencer stuff, you know, things you can do with organic or paid social, you know, YouTube videos, creating a blog post. Um, but and anything that gets, and anything that I would say, moves in the brand awareness direction and, and getting people to look because, you know, regardless of where you're selling, um, I think I heard a stat, it's like almost 80% of shoppers, even when they're in the grocery store, right. Or any store that they're in, they, they look at amazon.com to do price checks, right? So before they buy an item, they do a price check on Amazon to see, you know, is this, you know, the right price or is, does Amazon have a lower price before they, you know, decide, you know, where they're going to purchase. And so if you're in a position where you have your PPC 
in a good place on autopilot and you're doing all the right things, you know, then when you're driving additional traffic, you know, one, one hand feeds the other and, and the business will grow. So I, I think, you know, all of that in context, um, you know, if you get to a place in your business where you want to focus as the business owner, you know, on things like branding or new product development or channel expansion, right? There's, there's other things, you know, for you to do with your time. And so things like cutting the grass or cleaning the house, if you will, I would say, you know, some of the other things for Amazon um, that have to get done, right? My grass needs to get cut. If it doesn't get cut over time, you know, it's, it's four feet high and I have a problem, right? And so anyone who's serious about their Amazon business needs, needs to have, you know, PPC as some component of their business. And so you're either going to run that yourself or you're going to outsource that. And so I, I think, you know, being able to do that um, and being able to do that in a cost effective way is, is really important. So um, yes, so that would be, and, and obviously that leads into, you know, how, would you build, you know, how do you find a cost-effective way to have someone else who's not you manage that? And then, you know, and if you're not in a single brand, if you're a larger business, how do you do that at scale? Yeah. So, uh, Tony, you know, one of the things that I struggle as a business owner, and I'm sure I'm not alone, it's the same for most people, you're not, you don't know everything. So, you have to bring in people to do the work that you don't have the expertise in. So that's what. The second thing is, even if you know how to do something and you have the expertise in, as you put it, you're better off putting your time into something else. So where I struggle is this. Running PPC is such a specific kind of expertise. Clearly, for someone who learns it and then tries to run it, it's not going to have any advantage over anybody, especially if you're launching a new listing and, and you need to be successful. So can you share with us some ways that Amazon sellers can outsource this job to someone, but at the same time, they have enough fundamental knowledge to be able to check what's going on, somewhat have awareness rather than just because that's what happens most of the times. You hire somebody for something that you don't know anything about, and then they think that they are, well, you think that they are doing the job, but actually they're not. So what can you share with us where sellers can stay on top of what they outsource? when it comes to PPC? No, perfect. Yeah, I, I think a couple things. Um, <clears throat> one, there's there's a bunch of different ways to, to spot check this. So, and, and it's the old adage of, you you know, you take your car to the mechanic and if you don't know what's wrong, how do you, how do you know you're not, you know, they actually replaced a part or the thing they say they need to get fixed actually needs to get fixed. So, so one, I think it's important for you to, Know, know your own product, your own inventory very well, right? You know, some people have one product, some people have, you know, 12 products, 20 products, 200 products. And so I, I think number one is to figure out, um, you know, how many products do you plan on advertising? Um, you know, I would say if you're going to sell it, you should probably advertise it. Um, you know, the, sometimes, you know, businesses are in a situation where that can be cost prohibitive. So they can really only focus on say some of their, their top items or the items they want to push the most. So I would say, know what you want to advertise and know enough about seller central and the campaign manager that you can make sure and verify that the items you want advertised are actually being advertised. Right. I think that's, that's step one. Um, again, being familiar enough with the tool 
where when someone tells you they did something, I made an optimization, I created a campaign, you can actually look in there and you can see it. Uh, inside the campaign manager, there is a history function uh, where you can see any, any type of change history, right? And so if you go in there and you see, you know, there you've had a meeting with somebody and you walked in, you haven't seen, you don't see any changes between when you're looking and when your meeting was, then you know that nothing has happened. So whoever, whoever it was that's in charge, like hasn't, hasn't done any work. Right. And it's kind of, you know, it's good. Like you can kind of, you can look and you can see, you know, if the cleaning lady is vacuuming the floor, or if the guys mowed the lawn, if it's, if it's short, it got cut. If it's not, it didn't get cut. Right. So it's, it's a good verification mechanism. Um, so I think those are two, um, you know, big things. Uh, one, one thing that is really interesting you know, it was just in the environment that we have today, you know, with the internet, we can find a lot of high quality talent overseas. And I've been doing this for the last four and a half years, um, you know, working with a lot of folks, um, particularly in, you know, India and Eastern Europe um, and the Philippines, uh, you know, folks who have, you know, engineering degrees or two master's degrees or a PhD that are super intelligent, super smart, and just unfortunately due to their, um, you know, economic situation and their, their country, they just don't have access to, you know, the kind of business opportunities that, that we may have here in the U.S. So you have these really brilliant folks um, that we can now be connected to, you know, through Zoom and, um, you know, the internet, and they can log in to the account and, and, and really help lean in and, you know, do, do really good things uh, for, your, for your Amazon business. Um, one of the last things, or two last things I think I would say to finish the, your question is think about pricing and incentives. So when you're working with an agency or outsourcing to an agency, you know, are they charging you based on a percentage of spend, right? Or are they charging you based on, say, a percentage of return? And, and I think that really matters because if you're being charged about a percentage of spend, regardless of what you do, you know, that means the person that's working for you has no skin in the game, right? And all that, you know, they did, and regardless of their performance, you know, as long as they can convince you to keep spending or to spend more money, you know, they're getting a cut based on how much you spend, right? And what's really interesting, and this happens, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about software, but when we think about agencies and we think about software, particularly in the Amazon space or the PPC space in general, it's like, as you do more business and spend more money, they charge you more. And there's really, I, you know, there's not a lot of other businesses I can think of where things operate that way. You know, typically when you're working, you know, for a business or you, you do things, the more you spend, the more you get for free. Right. The more you eat at a restaurant, you know, they bring you out free dessert. The more you spend at a restaurant, maybe they bring you a free drink or a free dessert or something like that. And so it's it's really interesting. And, and I, th I think incentive alignment is very important. So if someone's charging on a percentage of spend, I would I would certainly be cautious that that means to me um there's a lack of willingness to, to really be committed um, to what they're producing. And I'm sure that statement, if we were on a panel, could create, you know, an argument. But um, I, I think it's important. I, I think if, if, somebody's, if somebody's charging you based on a percentage of return, um, they're going to be more active. They're just going to be more active. You're going to see a lot more activity out of them. They're going to be looking at your account more. They're really going to be trying to, you know, they're now incentivized um, the same way you are by your business growing, right? Not by just you spending more money. So I think that's one, one another piece. And then finally, I would say thinking about this concept of, of branded versus non-branded spend. Um, you know, when I was in my previous uh, company, we did a data analysis and um, what we discovered is that only 16% 
of branded spend or 16, I'm sorry, 16% of branded sales were actually incremental. And just so everybody's super clear, the difference between branded and non-branded spend, I would consider branded spend to be uh, bidding on terms, which are your brand name or the name of the product, right? And so if, if, you know, if you're Nike, Right. So if it, the, the, you know, it would be if you're bidding on the word Nike, Nike tennis shoes, Air Jordans, you know, all of those things I would consider branded terms. And so what we have what we what we did and what we found and discovered in our analysis is that, um, you know, 84 percent of the time that you're spending money on those branded terms. Um, the sales, the attributed sales that you know were reported um, were what we would call cannibalistic. So those were sales that would have happened anyway had you not bid on those terms. Um, branded terms, you know, and so you know, a non-branded term then for Nike would be running shoe, sneaker, tennis shoe, basketball shoe, high top, you know, things like that. So something that is just obviously not associated with the brand or the specific names of the, of the shoe, right? Now, um, you know, because branded spend is highly cannibalistic, there are a lot of providers, service providers, you know, that will have you spend on branded because it inflates the ROI. Right. So if you're looking at, say, your ROAS, your return on ad spend, um, you are going to get the more the more money you spend on the larger percentage of your ad budget that goes to branded terms, the higher that's going to inflate your ROI, which makes that agency or service provider look better. So, you know, what I would say for most folks, you know, if your brand is small or relatively unknown, um, uh, you know, my opinion is, you know, branded spend is really unnecessary. Right. And, um, you know, because the people that are looking for you, they've heard of you, they know you, they're coming, they're coming to buy, you know, you know, and, and, I, and I think, you know, until your business, you know, does reach, you know, a large, large status where people are, you know, seeing you as a threat and really trying to, you know, cannibalize your customer base. You know, I, I think most people have a long runway before they really need to lean in um, to brand and spend. You know, and I would say even when the time comes and you reach a level of maturity in your business where that's necessary, um, you know, having that percentage of spend, you know, be, you know, it's, it's I'd say 20 to 40 percent or less than 20 percent. Having it be the minority of the spend in your business is is the right answer. And so, again, that's just something to something to look out for. And, and you know, in a lot of the analysis we've done, you know, we've seen when we've turned off branded spend, you know, there's relatively no change in top line sales. And when you start to press on that a lot more, again, there's relatively no change in top line sales. And so we can see, you know, how that can be cannibalistic. So those are just four things, um, you know, looking at the branded spend, the compensation of incentive structure, um, you know, making sure that you have a good understanding of the platform so that you can see, did somebody set up a campaign? Are they advertising your ASINs? And then just occasionally checking the, um, you know, the change history, just to make sure people are doing what they say they're doing. If you do those things, you know, I think you can, you know, be in the uh, trust, but verify, you know, sort of relationship and, and, and feel good about your service provider. I have something important for all my listeners. Sellers lose money on lost or damaged inventory with Amazon, which can add up to a lot over a year. Did you know that there is a way to claim all your losses? Getida is the global leader in Amazon FBA auditing and reimbursements for Amazon FBA sellers worldwide. They deliver results with no upfront costs. They get paid only when you get paid. Visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up. And thanks to our friends at Getida, your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. It's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And that's www.getida.com forward slash legends.
Well, this is so valuable. So I'm going to now come back to you with some uh, questions, especially on the fee structure, because this is so important. I, uh, When I was an Amazon seller, people would come to me and, uh, and I would offer revenue share for their services. I say, look, why, why don't you do the work and then just take a piece of the action? So you have a skin in the game. And they would not like that. And then once I started to grow and my sales became fairly significant and I became an eight-figure seller, what happened was any time, well, two things happened. First of all, I had more providers voluntarily offering their services for a piece of the action. Because they, there was enough activity going on. And the second, the more offers like that I received, the more I would push back. Because the growth, as you know, comes at the end of the day down to your margins. What kind of margins you are able to maintain. Yeah. So therefore liquidity you're generating so therefore you can put that back in the inventory because as you know the real cost of you know we talk about ROAS we talk about takeoffs you know 10% 15% all those things are things that you shoot for but at the end of the day for you to get a return on the inventory you invest already takes a lot of cash and a lot of time so therefore you the last thing you want to do is share that revenue with somebody if you are a large operation so, so when I became a provider, this is what I started to advocate for. So I said to people, look, and they would, just like me in my early days, they would say, why don't you do the work and then we'll do revenue share. I, I would say to them, look, you don't want somebody coming on board to do business with you, to do all their work, only to, to take a piece of the action when you don't have much to share with in the first place. So they are going to have to put in so much time to get you up there. So, and and the, the time that will not be paid for. So they are now making an investment. So now you think about that. When you make a dollar investment, you don't want to get a dollar back, do you? You want to get $2, $3 and the of higher. Course. So, now, you're going to overpay for those services at some point. Keep that in mind, number one. Number two, they are not angel investors where they will be prepared to wait for five years. They're going to want to get quickly. So they're going to do things in, in a way that will not be in your business's best interest in the long run. For example, ad spend. They'll push the ad spend hard. They'll push the sales up. So... Uh, so I would say to them, be aware, you know, I'm not saying don't do it, but be aware what are the consequences. I understand better how they're going to do it and and uh, and how long they're willing to wait. And the other thing is, if you are doing good business and somebody comes along and offers revenue share, do not take it because you need every penny you generate in the liquidity to go back into the business. So be careful with these rev share deals. So um, what I came up with is something of a, a hybrid between how to pay and what kind of commitment to seek. So the payment is based on ad spend because you, at the end of the day, have no control over the inventory they are supposed to have. So if you just bank on the sales, if they don't have inventory, you're going to do your work and then there's nothing to share. So, uh, but ad spend is a different thing. You can do your your work. However, have a commitment on the takeoffs. What it is that you are willing to commit to. And then if you don't stay within those commitment levels, you lose the job. Simple as a yeah. provider. So go on ad spend, but uh, seek for commitment on the takeoffs, not ROAS, but takeoffs, because as you know, PPC also increases rank. So um, it would be unfair just to uh, compensate on ROAS. So 
what is your take on 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 my idea of uh, approaching this fee structure? I, no, I, I think I think it's okay. I, I, I think I, I don't. I, you know, the the way that I structure it is when I do the rev share, it isn't on the it isn't on top line sales. Oh. Right. So it's not on top line sales. It's only on ad sales. Right. So, so the, and, and it tears down over time. Right. So like, let's say someone starts at um, say 5%. So like the, the, the rev share is it's 5%, but it's of ad sales. Right. And so what happens is in that scenario, you're not necessarily, you're not being encouraged. Like when you do it off of, I, I think, the idea to have governors in place, you know, say for tacos or ACOS or different things, like here are the metrics that govern the health of our relationship, right? And obviously, if we're too far outside of these parameters for too long, then, you know, we, we aren't going to work together anymore. I think that's totally fair. Um, when it's strictly on ad spend, um, what I find is, you know, people just encourage you to spend more money, right? And and working working at Amazon I mean, that's, that's the whole job, right? So like Amazon is not your friend. Um, I'll say it. I mean, Amazon is not, is not your friend. And when Amazon thinks about their customers, they're thinking about the people that are buying the product. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, unfortunately Amazon does not see all of its selling partners as customers. Um, you know, it, it doesn't. And, and anybody who's been in the game for a while and has been called Amazon customer service or had an item suppressed or had their account suspended for something they didn't do, like understands that, you know, Amazon is Amazon's looking out for who they consider to be the customer, um, not the um, not the selling partner. Um but I, I and 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 I think when it's strictly based on ad spend, people will encourage you to spend more. I think if you can create a model where, say, it's off of ad sales, um, then and it tears down over time, then then two things happen. One, it's strictly performance based, um, and 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 two, much like a financial advisor, um, the way that that I structure the fee structure is, um, you know, as your asset levels go up, the fee comes down. So as your business gets better, we still work together. I still participate in the upside of the growth, but my participation level shrinks, right? And so, um, yeah, you know, so if you're generating, say, a hundred grand in, you know, ad sales, you know, maybe I'm getting one percent or five percent, but if you're generating a million dollars in ad sales, you know, maybe now I'm only getting one percent or two percent. So um, it's like we get to participate in growth together. I'm still incentivized to help you, you know, make your business better, but you're not having to lean in as heavy as that happens. So, yeah. Okay, cool. So, I mean, that's a, that's another model. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of advertised, advertised sales. So, I mean, for the listener's benefit, um, this, this, different types of sales right so when you're on amazon you pay for clicks then either sponsored product sponsored display whatever the case may be and then when somebody clicks on those and then makes a sale that's called advertised sales and of course for every dollar you spend you generate so much and you can see that in your seller central and the other one is people do search and then your listing comes up organically and they click on it, they go make a purchase that doesn't count towards your advertised sales. That's your organic sales. So you want to be able to separate your advertised sales from your organic sales. Uh, we're not going to get into the, the whole reporting aspect of it, uh, but you, know, you need to know exactly what those are. There is a third bucket that we keep an eye on, and that's the external traffic sales which we track by uh, using the uh, Amazon attribution. So um, do, you, do you stay on top of that, uh, Tony? Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, it depends on, you know, what you're doing. I think, I think step one, right, is looking at ad sales and organic sales. That's certainly going to be the easiest thing to calculate. And that's, I think, step one. And looking at 
that ad sales ratio, right? The lower the ad sales ratio, you know, theoretically, I mean, if your if your ad sales ratio is too low or too high, you know, it could mean you're spending too little or too much. Um, you know, but typically what we see for a brand is that the lower your ad sales ratio, the higher your level of brand awareness and more people are coming and finding you naturally. Um, I think, you know, what you said around traffic that comes from external sale or sales that come from external traffic is very important to track. Um, because that's going to help you understand, you know, where the best place to put a dollar is when you're investing in your in your business. Um, and obviously using Amazon attribution to do that is going to be very important. And But I think that is sort of phase two, right? After your PPC um, is set up and you're gaining all the low-hanging fruit from, you know, Amazon itself, right? Then step two is to set up all of your external you know, tr traffic methods, um, you know, and any external advertising that you want to do to send more and get, get that other ore in the water of sending more customers to Amazon. Yeah. And by the way, for, for the listeners benefit, I, I want to mention this here. So if you have a mailing list, you must set up an attribution code for it and then incorporate in your mailer. Because that means that, and, and by the way, you must also enroll in the brand referral bonus program if you haven't already, because those two work together. So enroll in brand referral bonus program and uh, enroll in the attribution uh, program. And whenever you're sending out a mailer to your own customer list or your organic social media postings, whatever the case may be, incorporate your attribution links in it because every dollar you generate from those, from that traffic, you're going to get a percentage back from Amazon. So it doesn't cost you all this organic stuff, your own mailing list or organic postings. They will cost you nothing in terms of paid clicks, but they will pay you because Amazon pays for the uh, external traffic being driven to your uh, listing so uh, that's something i i like to mention because people don't think about it they always think about their paid stuff so um tony i want to ask you something can you share with us some practical tips on identifying a good talent for managing your ppc what are the kind of questions that you want to ask how do you verify that this is a good person yeah so you know <sighs> When I go through an interview process um, and, and we're looking for, you know, let, let's just focus on skills, right? Obviously, personality fit and things like that are important. But let's say we're just trying to focus on, do I believe this person can do the job well, right? So you know, if, when I go through the interview process, the, the first thing I talk about is I just ask them questions about Amazon. Right. You know, do, do what is sponsored display. Right. So I'll ask them about different ad types. And I like you know, a lot of people say one thing that's interesting about our industry, it's, it's kind of like, you know, grilling in the backyard in the sense that everybody thinks they're great. Um, at grilling in the backyard. Um, and that isn't actually true, right? And so for some reason, there's a lot of people that seem to think they're PPC experts and or that they're great with PPC or at least make that claim. And, and that isn't, it isn't true, right? And so I, I think the first thing I do is I'll ask, you know, just very straightforward questions about different ad lovers and you know key targeting methods and um you know basically the in, in thinking about campaign structure and construction and how would you set up you know um this and i'll give them a scenario i'll say i have a brand let's say they're a consumer they're a consumables brand and they have 12 items their budget's twenty thousand dollars a month um you know, and they're looking to get a return of uh, three or better and increase their subscribe and save customers. How would you set up the campaign structure for that account and where would you spend the money, right? And so I, I think, 
you know, those are the sort of the first questions that, yeah. So the, the first thing is just, just technical. How does, how do things, what are the ad levers? What are the targeting methods? And just make sure they actually know um, what we're talking about. I mean, one time I interviewed a guy and I asked him what sponsored products was and he didn't know. So, you know, he came in and he said he was a PPC expert. I asked him what sponsored products was. He didn't know the answer. So obviously that wasn't true. And so it's, it's good to just ask the basics. And then I think the second piece is around, um, you know, ad strategy, campaign structure. And then the third thing I do is I talk to them about metrics right? And this one's really important, right? Because the, the first one is like, they can go get their ad certification, right? And, and, and learn what all the moving parts are. They can, you know, I think somebody that's, that's newer or learning from a mentor can put together maybe a halfway decent strategy or take one from somebody. Uh, but thinking about metrics, I think is really where you see the intelligence you know, of the person that you're working with. And with PPC, I think it's really important to look at metrics holistically. A lot of people get focused on ROI. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like if I said to you, you know, if we were on the phone and you couldn't see me, um, or if you're if you're listening to this, right, and on the, on the audio and you can't see what I look like, right, if I told you that I weigh 300 pounds, right? You're going to get this certain image in your mind, right? Of what I look like. Um, you know, if I then tell you, well, I'm six foot seven and, you know, I'm a linebacker, you know, and for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Then you're going to get a totally different, you know, view. You know, if I tell you I'm 300 pounds and then I tell you, well, I'm five foot two and I'm 15 years old, you're going to get a very different image, right? And so I, I think, um, you know, a lot of folks, you know, particularly when they're looking at this, you know, they'll, they'll focus on, you know, ACOS or TACOS in, individually. And I, I think that is a mistake. I think it's important to look at all of the metrics. Um, you know, I break the metrics down into three categories, uh, performance metrics, which is typically where people focus, um, financial metrics, and then um, traffic metrics. And so what I do, you know, even when I'm training my teams today, like when I'm training, my, when I'm doing training for my team or onboarding somebody who's new, you know, I'll take them through a series of, you know, quizzes or questions where I'll talk to them about when, when something hap happens, if metric A changes, what change does that trigger in metric B? Or if you see something, if you see, if, if metric A goes up, metric B goes down and metric B stays and metric C stays the same, what is happening to the account, right? And so those types of questions let me understand that somebody has a really good command of um, metrics, how they move. And because, because that is going to determine the optimizations that one makes for an account, right? So understanding the metrics and how they move in accordance with the goal that the brand has set is going to determine the optimizations that somebody makes. And so I really want to understand um, how somebody thinks and what their problem solving ability is like. And so that third part of the interview when we go through metrics is really important. Yeah. So this, this is what you said is so valuable. Um, metrics, you put them in three categories, performance metrics. Yes. Time metrics and traffic metrics yes performance metrics are things like uh, ROAS takeoffs and, and others those are the ones that fall into that category yeah if I were to give you um, you know if, if I were to say specifically so if I'm looking at performance metrics you know performance metrics would be um, tacos is one um, a cost is one um, cost per click is a, I consider that a performance metrics and um, the ad sales percentage, I'd consider a performance metric. And financial metrics? The financial metrics are gonna be um, ad spend, um, financial metrics are gonna be ad spend, they're gonna be ad sales, they're gonna be total sales um, and uh, Gosh, that was one more off the top of my head. I'm sorry. You know, it's, it, yeah. And, and um, 
you know, I'm it's a, the last one is escaping me at the moment, but I have these all written down in the process. I'm sorry. It's okay. Traffic metrics. And traffic is going to be simple. It's going to be um, your impressions, your clicks, your um, uh, it's impressions, clicks. It's going to have be sessions, right? So you're obviously your organic, your click through rate and your conversion rate. Conversion rate, yeah. So you put those under traffic conversion. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, so I, I, we had an interesting scenario. So these are, uh, these are things that we track, but what happened was we track things over, we look at the last seven days, 30 days, 60 days, and 90 days and all time. So we look at those numbers, uh, for those time frames, and then we had a client, and suddenly their seven day took a nosedive. So you were talking about it's important for the person to understand the relationship between metrics so that they know what to do. Correct. How they impact each other. You know Correct. where else that knowledge becomes key to diagnose events as they occur, right? Because when something happens, you have no idea. So suddenly your takeoff shoots up. You have no idea how to look at it. So what we had was we, we when I, I put the metrics in different, if you like, bands of data. So one is about advertising, ad sales, and that's where we report the uh, advertising and the ad sales. Uh, and then uh, in the sales, we we report the advertised sales, organic sales, external sales, and the total sales. So you can see all three brackets. And then what we do is we break down. So basically, advertised sales, we look at the clicks. Uh, external sales, we look at the clicks. And, we, uh, and then organic sales, we look at the clicks. So what we've – and then we attribute the sales – spread across organic, paid, and total. So what percentage of your organic sales, uh, what percentage of your total sales were organic versus what percentage of your total traffic was organic? Yes. So, so, so we can see the correlation between is sales in line with the traffic? So things like that. So what, what happened was we found that the campaign, the ad campaign, actually performed even a little bit better, better ROAS. Conversion rate on the listing was actually a little bit better. But what happened was their share of organic sales dropped. Yeah. Even though the advertised sales were fine. And they were actually consistent across, you know, all time as well as thirty days. It was it was consistent, but for that week, the organic uh, share dropped. And then we we very quickly uh, realized that, you know, maybe this is just for this week. So let's wait and see. So, uh, what do you think about the scenario like this? No, I mean, I think this kind of thing happens all the time, right? Like you can see tacos go up, but a costs stay flat or get better, right? And you're thinking what's going on? And, you know, it could be a couple of different things. One, maybe somebody's spending more on branded sales and then, you know, ad sales go up, they throw off the ratio. But again, many times, you know, it's, it's, it's your, your organic sales are going to impact tacos to a large degree and it can be positive and negative. Obviously, if organic sales dip, because Amazon is just getting less traffic, you know, so let's say Amazon's getting less traffic overall, right? So if, if traffic goes down overall, um, you're still spending the same budget. So you'll still win the same number of auctions, roughly speaking. Um, but there's just less overall traffic, organic sales will be down. And your tacos will go up a little bit, you know, conversely, you know, I can tell you in my um, the last several years of running big teams, you know, there've been a couple different times where a brand manager um, hit a wrong button and it drastically lowered the price of a product. 
and you know and so they hit a wrong button you know they you know the price of a product goes to a dollar and all of a sudden we sell out of that product in like a day or two days right and so what happens is we get this huge spike in organic sales um but it's all um you know, it's for not. And you look and you're like, man, I got this, I got, but what, what happened? Um, we just have this, we have this huge revenue week, right? Or this huge revenue day. Um, but that's why you have to look at everything because it's like, oh, but we're not profitable because they sold this at less than half price, right? By accident, right? <coughs> so um, there have been, uh, you know, things like that that I have seen happen accidentally over the years. There's another thing that now that you mentioned it, uh, I just realized another thing that you have to keep note of, and this is an ongoing thing, that you must uh, at all times make a note of the significant events. For example, if, for example, in this case, pricing was changed. Yeah. So you want to put that in your event calendar so that when you're looking at these numbers, over time and you see these fluctuations you want to be able to index them to certain events that you know of for example starting a, a ppc campaign or stopping a ppc campaign or changing bits drastically uh, or replacing your main image or replacing your a plus or whatever the case may be so all these things that you or you know doing an email campaign if suddenly you see a spike and that's because you sent, uh, I have a client, they have 400,000 emails on their mailing list. One email will immediately spike their sales. But if you look at it over time, well, you're going to see those spikes. You don't know what they are for. It's not going to tell you much. So uh, you need to have an event calendar, so to speak, associated with the data. Uh, Right? Do you, do you know, it's, it's super. It's super important. Like I remember. I mean, I, I can tell you. I mean, I have all. I have stories for days. Like I have a lot of campfire stories. Um, once we, we were working with this brand, and one of the items they sold was it was they sold these candles, these really high end candles, and uh, I forget. I forget what article it was, but there was there was some publication and they printed an article about the top 10 items that Kylie Jenner keeps in her bedroom. And like item number six was this candle that we happened to sell and we were out of stock in 40 minutes. Oh right. So like for 40 minutes after they published the article, we were out of stock. And so it was one of those things where it was like, we would, would have loved a heads up on that. But um, like you, you never know what is going to be the trigger. Um, you know, yeah. And, and, and when you do see something like that, I think you're 100 percent right. It's really important that you notate it so that when you're looking at your business year over year and you're doing demand planning or thinking about how you're going to adjust your advertising budgets, you know, you don't want to lean in on a false positive. So, yeah. Well, uh, Tony, we can talk about this world forever, you know, as far as the stories and about the knowledge, uh, there's only so much to do. So um, let's wrap up the business talk. Now I come to the favorite part of our uh, show all to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little okay. bit about yourself. Take us way back to your <laughs> beginnings. Uh, so in this part of the show, I'm always interested in peeling the layers of the onion, so to speak. Uh, what, what were your early life experiences that were that you now know that were the indications for what you're doing today? You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I think I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my dad worked in an auto factory. My mom was a secretary and um, I'm the oldest of three. Uh you know, it was, uh, it was, it was, it's, you know, it's interesting growing up in the Rust Belt. Like when I think about like Ohio or Cleveland in particular, um, you know, one of the things I would say is I feel like, you know, it's, it's, I think like Dorothy said, there's no place like home. Right. So I always love being, being back. Um, but I feel like it's, uh, you know, folks doing things the hard way on purpose. Um, and, and I think it builds a lot of, a lot of character being in the Rust Belt. Um, 
when I was um, a teenager, my grandfather um, talked to me about investing. He was retired and, you know, he told me, you know, if you save a couple hundred dollars a month, every month from now until you're 65, you could have a million dollars. And I, I was, I was always fascinated with this idea of being a millionaire, right? Because, um, yeah, I mean, we, I, I was not poor growing up, but we, we weren't rich. Right. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people, argue about money. I think that was a big argument for my parents. They ended up being divorced. And so like, I, I was always fascinated with this idea of like, how do I become a millionaire? Right. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's only a handful of jobs, you know, like I think you know, doctor, lawyer, you know, um, high-end sales, and, and it's really only the, the elite folks in those roles that, that really, really become wealthy. And so, you know, 95% of all millionaires are, are business owners, right? And, um, you know, when I first graduated from college, you know, I got involved with um, a uh, direct marketing business. And there was this pamphlet that this guy wrote, and I forget his name, but the, the pamphlet was called like the deception of the corporate dream. And it was talk of, talked about, you know, job stands for just over broke. And, you know, they pay you just enough not to leave. And, um, and, and it just, it just resonated with me of like spending all your time working on something that's like somebody else's dream. Right. And so, uh, you know, so, so for me, this idea of having a business, um, you know, was really important. So I, I ended up going to grad school and I got my MBA um, in entrepreneurship and I was a financial advisor for 10 years. I, I thought I wanted to get rich on Wall Street. Um, eventually I got sick of wearing suits and ties and um, got into software, ended up working at Amazon, you know, and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm here. But I, I, I think, you know, for me, it's just been fascinating having a career where I'm surrounded by, you know, entrepreneurs and really wealthy people and, and, and the people that, um, the doers, I, I call them the doers because, you know, we can, we can go to any Super Bowl party or any, like any, like 4th of July is coming up, right? We can go to any holiday picnic and, you know, half the people there are going to have ideas, Right. They're going to tell you about, you know, a bit, they're going to be a business idea or a product idea or a thing they want to do. And um, most people don't do it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's more it's, you know, I, I wouldn't even call it nine out of 10. I would call it like 99 out of 100. Never take any action. Right. So, you know, for, for me, you know, everyone that and there, there's something magic, I think, you know, even if your account isn't big, right? Even if even if you're only making a, selling a thousand dollars a month worth of product, right? Like, I, I think the idea, the thing that the, the fact that you had an idea, you turned it into a thing, you know, and hopefully your idea solves a problem for somebody, right? And and you're now making that available to potential customers. I, I just think there's something really magic about that, and. Um, there's something really special. And so that's an environment that I wanted to be a part of. And those are the kind of people that I want to be around. And it's to me, to me, it's inspiring. And, and I don't, you know, like I, I don't see us competing with each other because there's, there's plenty of ideas, right? There's plenty of ideas and there's plenty of different ways, different, different problems that we all want to solve and different ways that we want to serve. And so I, I think, you know, being able to be in environments like this where we can, we can share best practices or, or, you know, get connected to people that can help us um, be, be more successful is, is really great. So, yeah. So, um what was the reason that got you uh, fascinated with the idea of being a millionaire? Well, uh, so you were you were not poor, you were not uh, rich, but there was no shortage of money. So I heard you mention your parents would fight about money. Was that the reason? Do you think, or why? Why did you become fascinated with it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. You know, when when my parents got divorced, um, 
you know, it, it changes your whole family, man. It, it, cha- it changes your family and it changes the trajectory of your life. And, and now, you know, unfortunately, that's that's more commonplace, right? I mean, I, half the people on this call may be divorced or have been at one time, who knows? But I, I think, you know, as a kid, um, yeah, it, I think it, it does something. And, you know, I mean, in, in hindsight, was 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 money the reason? No, you know, but was it was it a factor? Sure. And, um, you know, they say, you know, the three the three biggest things that couples argue about are money, sex and in-laws. And so I was like, well, if I could be a millionaire, that at least takes care of the money problem. Right. Right. So maybe that, maybe that scratches that off the list. And I think I was just, just fascinated with this concept, you know, and when you're a kid, you know, you, you have no concept of money or how much, you know, you know, what is a million dollars. Right. But, you know, I had this idea that, man, if I could, if I could be a millionaire, right. I could do, I could do anything. And, and there's something about, there's something about that. It's, it's a milestone, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, finishing a marathon or getting a PhD or, you know, climbing Mount Everest. I, th- I think there's something about, you know, being a millionaire, creating a million dollar business that is, it's really cool. And it's, it's a, it's a milestone. And I think it puts you in a club. Um, you know, like I used to say, there's, there's people who have run marathons and there's people who have them you know, and um, I'd like to be in the club of people who have, right? I just would like to say I have, right? There's people who are millionaires and there's people who aren't. Um, and there's a lot of millionaires that, you know, are average, average Joe that just, you know, saved really well, right? And so, um, but I would like, I would like to be in that club. And, and, and I guess I thought, I guess I thought for me, particularly when I was younger, you know, if, if that happened, um, you know, I could insulate myself from a lot of problems. So um, whether that's true or not, that was what I thought at the time. You know, Tony, there is a saying, uh, there is a good in every bad, and there is a bad in every good. So in your situation, your parents' divorce put you in a mind, it was a bad thing, obviously, and it put you in a mindset that now, placed you where you are today we are in that you are with people you are in that club you you are in an environment that you enjoy being in and 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 you're good at so uh, it all came out of that that you know unfortunate uh, situation well it does you know i have a couple other buddies from the rust belt area and we we talk about that we, we used to talk about this in college and in our 20s it's like you know, what happens, it, it shakes your safety net, right? And so it shakes your social safety net, it shakes your financial safety net. And so, you know, when you go through school and you go through your 20s, it's, it's you know, when, when it's like walking at life is like walking a tightrope tight rope without a safety net. You know, and, and so there is no, you know, nobody's handed me cash to pay my rent or buy my first house or do any of the things. Right. And so you you got to figure it out. And I think that's how it is for most people. And, and I think what that did for me was it was like, oh, my, you know, my parents can't take care of me anymore and, and alone they can barely take care of themselves. Right. And so I need to figure out. I need to figure out how to take care of myself. And if I can take care of myself well enough, right. That I have extra to help somebody else. That's, that's a bonus. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's this, I used to call this concept of like, you go to different seminars, you go to like, you know, church gatherings or things, and there's all these folding chairs, you know, and at the end when everybody leaves, you know, there's always like a few guys that are folding up and putting away all the chairs. And I was just thinking, you know, if everybody just put away their own chair, this would go a lot. This would go a lot. If everybody could just pick up and put away their own chair, this would be a lot easier. Right. And, um, you know, and so I think that's, you know, what I focus on is just really trying to be mindful of putting away my own chair. And if I can grab one or two others and carry them with me, that's great. Well, I tell you, a lot of good things came out of that bad situation. And uh, you are here uh, as the proof for it. So clearly it's uh, your accomplishments, obviously, um, it's the proof. So that's uh, a great conversation, uh, Tony. And uh, so tell us, how can people reach you, share your contact information? Yeah, sure. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Tony Morales. Um, uh 
So you can find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to message me there. Um, I'll even give you, I'll give you my personal email. It's um, Tony, T-O-N-Y dot Morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S uh, 26. So just a two six, Tony Morales dot 26 at Gmail. Um, if you want to give me an email, I'm happy to, I'm happy to help anybody. If you just want to, if you just want to talk about your account or if you're looking for somebody to, uh, you know, mow the lawn for you, I'm happy to, uh, I'm happy to lean in and have that conversation as well. Great. Great. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for being here. You're welcome, Nick. I really appreciate it. It was great. And thank you. Before we wrap up, don't forget to visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up to claim money for your lost or damaged inventory with Amazon. Your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. www.getida.com forward slash legends and that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.